We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, folks, welcome back in uh, to our seventh episode of the Queen City Hoops podcast. Uh, this is uh, Spencer Percy, managing editor of Queen City Hoops. I'm here with my good friend and co-host Richie Randall. Uh, we hope everyone had a uh, had a great uh, and blessed Merry, uh, Merry Christmas there and are ready for 2017, which is closing in fast. Richie, how was Christmas, my friend? Oh, it was very good. Like I said, it was very busy for me, uh, traveling from house to house. Uh, but yeah, very blessed. I'm I'm very thankful for my family. Uh, it was it was a good time. Good, good, and same for me. Uh, a lot of basketball that day. Hornets have been busy uh, since Christmas. They didn't play on Christmas. Played the day after, and then twice since then. So they've been busy, which we'll go over a little bit more uh, about those three games here in a minute. Richie, uh, some folks might have recognized uh, a little bit of a facelift to the website here recently. Maybe some new uh, some new graphic uh, artwork and, and logos on Twitter. So talk to us a little bit about something you had done uh, to help Queen City Hoops uh, from the graphic standpoint. Yeah, I don't have much background in this per se, uh, but I just wanted to give like a facelift to the website, make it look a little bit more clean, uh, minimalistic. I, that's kind of like the style that I like. Uh, so you you should see a new banner on our website, uh, some new logos on Twitter, um, on Instagram, and as well as elsewhere, wherever we have our QCH name, uh, you will definitely see a difference in our logos. And I, I hope I hope everyone likes it. Um, I like it pre you know better than the previous logo. It just looks more clean and simplistic to me. Um, I know it's not what I'm a professional in, but I think it looks pretty good. You did a nice job. When I first saw those logos, you sent me the banner and then the few logos, and, and one of those logos is now my uh, my Twitter avatar. I mean, they look they look awesome, and the color combination you used of the teal, the purple, and the white. Uh, is really, really cool. So if you folks haven't seen that yet, go check that out. Richie did an awesome job uh, giving us a little bit of a facelift. Um, and kind of staying on that topic for a minute, you know, if you've been a listener of the podcast, again, this is our seventh episode. You know, Richie and I, are, I think we're getting better every time out. And, you know, we're providing maybe a different way to listen to a Hornets podcast. There, there is uh, there are other ones out there, uh, another really, really good Hornets podcast. So we appreciate our listeners. We have a 
what we hope to be a really exciting announcement um, on the brink here. And I, and I can't go into detail today, but I just kind of wanted to mention it so uh, so you folks could could be on the lookout for that. Um, probably will come after the new year, but podcast is moving uh, upward, uh, gaining momentum quickly, and we'll hopefully have some exciting news coming after the new year. All right, Richie, let's let's jump in here. Um, again, the Hornets played three games since Christmas. Uh, they were at Brooklyn, they were at Orlando, and then last night they hosted they hosted Miami. They go two and one of those two and one in those games. So let's start uh, in the Brooklyn game. I actually didn't see this game live. I did go back and watch that kind of the condensed rerun on NBA.com. Kind of wonky shooting night uh, from Brooklyn. I thought they kind of exceeded what they uh, they like to chuck threes. Oh, yeah. They're not a great three point shooting team, uh, but they they burned us from there that night. What did you see, Rich? I know you watched this game live. What stuck out to you, and what was a, a heartbreaking buzzer beater loss for the Hornets in Brooklyn? Yeah, I and mean, it was wonky three point shooting from the Nets. They do attempt a lot of threes. They're a very fast paced team. They like to get up and down the court. And they attempt a lot of threes, but they don't make a lot of threes. And I've mentioned this before. Hornets typically give up, you know, three-point shooting uh, to teams that don't actually shoot the ball too well from there. Uh, They shot 48% from downtown. So that kind of kept them in the game uh, throughout the game. And then they ended it on a three-point buzzer beater from Foy. I thought Batum played well, and his play is picking up in the month of December. He kept us in the game. Uh, with his shooting, his distributing, you know, he, he was very aggressive in the first quarter. He had six free throw attempts, so that that tells me that he's getting a little bit more assertive. And then Clifford has made a change to the rotation. I'm sure a lot of fans have seen it. Lamb no longer just plays in the second and fourth quarter. He actually is the first, you know, first player off the bench, and he mm-hmm. had a strong game as well, especially in the first half. Um, had 11 points in the first half on 67 percent shooting. So we knew is two- that. Is 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 the lamb thing just kind of a byproduct of the Bellinelli injury? Because you've been tracking this closer than I have, or is that has that actually been going on? I don't think so. I think it's I think it it happened in the game that Bellinelli got injured, but Lamb was also the first person in that game regardless because I think Bellinelli didn't get injured till what, the late first, second quarter, maybe? I don't know. Right, right. No, I think it was the second, yeah. yeah. So I yeah that that I think Clifford has saying he's trying to tinker with the lineups to see who works well together and I think he's come out and said that Lamb is now going to be our first player off the bench. So when Bellinelli comes back from injury, it'll be interesting to see uh kind of him working back uh you know to getting healthy, but I think that Lamb will still be the first one off the bench. Yeah, it's interesting. And we're going to talk about Jeremy a little bit more um later in the show but yeah i mean the brooklyn game i mean i thought the hornets you know they were good offensively which you expect to be against a poor brooklyn defensive team um but man yeah the nets shooting the ball they're 15 to 31 from behind the arc in the game uh bogdanovich gets going um and he doesn't need space he doesn't even jump when he shoots i mean he's a tall guy uh he has zero filter on when he's going to chuck and they were going in that night i mean i I think he really gets their offense going he's just one of those guys that's going to pull the trigger at any moment and if the shots are going on he kind of sparks the momentum for that team so bogdanovich gets going he scores 26 four of seven from deep uh gets to the foul line nine times because you got to close out on on him and he does have some ability to beat you off the off the closeout on the bounce and get to the rim uh sean kilpatrick man that guy can really play i like his game super athletic uh very very quick with the ball he's nine of 15 also four seven from deep he's got a little swagger to him too as well 
He does. I mean, I, he's got a future in the league. Kilpatrick, I think he's from Cincinnati. I think that's, that's correct. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, he's a really good player at Cincinnati. And then Brooke Lopez just kind of does what he does, scores 21. They play through him in the fourth, Richie, and and the Hornets really didn't have an answer. I mean, Lopez really had it going. Um, right. A few, a few offensive, just wonky offensive rebounds there for the Nets late in that game too. 50-50 balls that the Hornets couldn't get to, were beaten to all night. Uh, just some mistakes down the stretch. That and I also wonder if, it, if it's the three-point shooting because, you know, long rebounds on on those shots kind of create a little bit more offensive rebounds. Sure. No, no absolutely. Uh, Isaiah Whitehead also comes off the bench and, and gives uh, gives the Nets a little spark. But, yeah, just one of those games. Didn't fall the Hornets' way in the end. Randy Foy hits the game-winning uh, buzzer-beater three, and it's his only made field goal of the game, which really rips your heart out. Um, and I thought – there's not a whole lot Kimba could do there. I mean, when you actually go back and watch the play, Richie, Foy is setting a baseline, almost stagger screen for trying to think who they were trying to run off that screen. And now I can't remember. It might have been Bogdan. I, I don't remember who it was. Right. And so the, the play wasn't – it didn't look like the way Foy kind of sprinted up to the top of the key to get the ball. He almost hesitated like, oh, oh we're at four seconds, you know, with the, with this sideline out of bounds. Yeah. I got to go get the ball. It didn't look like that was part of the play for him to come to the top. He definitely wasn't option A. Right. No, he wasn't option A. I'm not even sure he was option D. <laughs> I think they were really looking for that corner three on that almost triple stagger screen that he was part of setting. And at, at about three and a half, four seconds, you know, you see it go off in his brain. I got to come get the ball. He sprints up to the top. Kim is helping on that stagger action. And so his, uh, you know, him recovering – to catch Foy, that's a delay. So Foy puts it on the floor one time. Kimba, I thought he made a pretty good contest, almost from like Foy's, you know, the side of his body. Yeah. And Foy shoots it off balance, kind of leaning forward slash sideways, swish. So it's just one of those one of those shots there's not much you can do about Hornets to lose that one. Anything else here, Richie, before we move on? And I don't know if we want to talk about it now, but just maybe just giving up too many uncontested threes, I think that – you know, if you if we want to talk about it now, I think that this game was probably the perfect example of that. And we don't. I think our defense is just not built to defend the three. Yeah, um, we give up a lot of threes. We try to protect the paint. We overhelp. Um, yeah, opponents attempt a lot of threes on us, and they don't attempt a lot in the paint. No, yeah. Let's let's talk about it for a minute. I mean, I <clears throat> I watched that game, and I thought the Hornets. I mean, first of all, you're right. Like the Hornets don't. They overhelp. They pack the paint. It's part of their defensive philosophy, and that's not necessarily going to change. How do you close out on shooters and make them uncomfortable, right? So you can close out, get a hand up, but if the guy has his feet set and he leaves his feet, you know, as a shooter, you're taught to, you know, act like there's nobody running at you. As long as you can catch in rhythm and let it go, jump and shoot, shoot the shot, right? Um, how do you close out on a shooter and, and change his footwork, right? Make him uncomfortable about pulling the trigger because of how quickly you're closing out or, or because of the space between you as a defender and him as the shooter. I mean, you watch the nets and and they, they catch and they shoot, uh, although the action ends with a Hornets player right there with his hands up. The Hornets got to get better, again, to your point, at closing out or being – being that step closer on the weak side to close out and make that guy put it on the floor. I mean, that is the NBA, right? I mean, there are so many good isolation players in this league and the ball goes from side to side so quickly and the ball goes on the floor and teams get dribble penetration. 
how can you close out um, to open shooters and make them put the ball on the floor or do something else with it other than take a rhythm shot. I mean, that that literally is the defense in this league. And the Hornets have struggled. I mean, they, the teams are shooting a high clip against them uh, from behind the arc and the nets. I mean, that was a perfect example of that game. So, you know, adjustments wise, I, I don't really know being a step closer, you know, to, to the weak side shooter, I guess is, is an adjustment. I, I don't know that that corrects everything though. I just, I just don't think it's in our philosophy defensively. I just think that we, we love to help out uh, off the dribble and we tend to lead, you know, shooters open. Um, and I just think that our philosophy under Clifford is just wall up that paint, make sure they don't get the easy buckets. I know that NBA is kind of transitioning to a three-point game, but we, we allow 33-point attempts a game uh, that's second in the league. So I just think it's in our DNA more than anything. I agree. And, you know, you ideally want to force teams to take mid-range shots, you know, take right. the rim away which I think the Hornets do a really good job of and take the three point line away, which they don't do a great job of. So, you know, if there's a, if there's a organic step um, to, to the next fold of Hornets defense in Clifford system this season, you know, it's certainly that. So it's something to monitor. And again, that Nets game I thought was a perfect example of, of where the Hornets struggle uh, this season defensively. It's just, just, just closing off three-point line. And last point I'll make on this. I mean, we, we do allow a lot of three-point attempts a game, but we're actually only, you know, opponents are only shooting 35% against us from three, which is 10th best in the NBA. So uh, there's 20 of the teams that allow better three-point shooting than us. Yeah, and how and how many are teams taking a game? I think you said this. 30. Minute. 30, and that, that ranks what in the league? No, second worst. So, so we, we allow the second most chucks from behind the arc. Correct, okay. behind yeah. New Orleans. Behind New Orleans, okay. So something to monitor. Uh, the Hornets can certainly get better there. The percentage, like you said, Richie, isn't awful. Right. Uh, but, but you'd like to chase more teams off the line. I mean, I, I think that's the, that's the larger point here. Any, anything else before we move on to Orlando? No, I think we should, we should move on to the, uh, to the win in Orlando. Okay, which I think, and you pointed this out, and I think you recap this game, Richie. Uh, this is the most complete game for the Hornets all season, right? I would say so. I mean, from quarter, well, I say quarter one to quarter four. We really, we, our starters didn't play in, in quarter four outside of MKG. So after the third quarter, the game was over. But I, yeah, I would say this game is probably the most complete game offensively, defensively that the Hornets have, have put together so far. I know that Abaka uh, had a very strong first half. Uh, 9 of 11 shooting. Uh, he's a threat from outside as well. So it's very tough to defend a guy like that. And going into this game, that was kind of the key matchup. Marvin Williams on Ibaka. And he, and he he lit it up. He lit it up in the first first quarter. His role on the Magic, he plays the, the whole first quarter. So he, he was tearing it up in the first quarter. But come third quarter, he was, he was uh, I think he was 0 for 4. So he didn't score at all. And just our defense and our unselfish ball movement was very fun to watch in the third quarter. And we you know, built the lead up to 30, 33 points in that quarter. Yeah, everybody got into the mix here. Um, I mean, you look at even the bench. Jeremy Lamb gets 14 sessions, scores 13. Uh, Frank didn't have a great night, but he, efficiency-wise, which he usually doesn't, but he gets nine. 
Uh, I mean, it was just, it was an all around party for the Hornets offense. Um, Kimba and Batum, I mean, they only take 24 combined field goals. They both go eight for 12 from the floor, score 41 combined. It was just a, a pure display of efficiency and really, really fun to watch because we haven't really seen it for four quarters all season uh, from Charlotte. The third quarter was the difference. I mean, Charlotte outscores Orlando 35 to 13 in the third quarter. And when it happened, it happened really, really fast. Um, Charlotte starts pouring in threes, uh, getting steals, getting fast break layups. Um, and just watching Frank Vogel on the bench was, uh, was, was something to see. Charlotte shot 70% in the third quarter, 14 of 20 from the field. And I think uh, eight assists in that quarter too. Eight assists in that quarter. Correct. Uh, turned Orlando over five times, which led to seven, uh, Charlotte buckets. Yeah. It, it was a really fun game to watch, uh, and a very complete game. So, I don't know. Yeah, outside of that, because this game was kind of over, you know, halfway through the third quarter. Um, I did not watch the fourth quarter. Well, I mean, it was it was just reserves playing. That's all it was. So, I mean, I think that the final score is a little misleading. I mean, we only uh, what was it, nineteen point deficit? I, I don't. I think it did a little bit more justice for Orlando there because their their bench yeah. players actually, I think that were just you know getting in their minutes. Hazonia was playing. We were almost like in a run the clock out mode. Right. Right. And don't look and in this game, Charlotte goes 18 of 19 from the free throw line. And don't look now, but they are they're starting to uh, to see a real uptick from the free throw line in terms of efficiency as something that Richie, we know they struggle with early in the season. Correct. Yeah, we're uh, I don't I don't know about last night's game, but yeah, overall, I mean, we've been increasing our, our free throw chances and, and our percentage as well. So that's something that's a staple in, in our in our philosophy. We want to get to the line, but if we're not making them, it does us no good. But we have been increasing our our percentage from the line. Sure, yeah. So I don't know. If there's a whole lot of a whole lot to really dive into this game. It was an important win for Charlotte because I'm not sure anyone actually knew what to expect coming off that heartbreaking Brooklyn loss, uh, having to stay on the road, go down to a Magic team that no one can figure out, but they have some good wins this season. Um, so it was a big one. It was a real big performance for the Hornets. Uh, God, this Magic team, Richie, they are – there's few teams that just the, – the pieces fit less in the entire league. I look at Chicago. Right. Yeah, Port, Portland's not clicking like a lot of people thought they would this year. But, man, this Orlando team, some of the lineups they run out there. I mean, were they – like, There's just so many bigs, bigs on the yeah, floor at one yeah. time. I mean, they have Aaron Gore, and they're trying to play him as a – as a two in some lineups, I swear he was out there as a two on the floor with like a Baca and Biombo and Vucevic in some one lineup. And I'm like, what? I mean, I, I don't know how you run real NBA offense when you, when you're clogging uh, the arc that much. And but. they've tried to stagger it because they, they now have DJ Augustine starting and hope, right. In hopes of kind of spreading it out a little bit and have Peyton come off the bench. So, I mean, and that has helped. I mean, Peyton has been better off the bench. He right. wasn't against Charlotte the other night, but they just, oh God, it is, it is unbelievable the pieces they have on this team and how poorly they fit. And then you look at a Hazonia, who's a lottery pick for them last year. He can't even get on the floor. He no. does late. He does in the fourth quarter to your point, because it was all reserves, but man, yeah, this is a team that doesn't fit. Everyone kind of knew uh, this past summer that what are they doing? Signing all these bigs, uh, trading away uh, Oladipo for another big Ibaka, but uh, I think some guys are going to lose their job in Orlando, Richie. So keep an eye on that. <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, that GM cannot be safe. This was a poorly constructed right. roster. Uh, all right, anything on this? So we'll move to, we'll move on to Miami. On to Miami. On to Miami. So 
So the Hornets recover in Orlando, and then last night they come home uh, to host the Heat, and it was not pretty. I <laughs> uh, did watch this game from start to finish. It wasn't pretty at all. The Hornets were very poor offensively, but they did what the Hornets do in, mm-hmm. in most games. They take away uh, their opponent's second chances. So last night, Miami – Usually a pretty good offensive rebounding team with Hassan Whiteside only gets four offensive rebounds last night. Uh, And on top of that, the Hornets only turned the ball over nine times. And they actually had almost 50% of those turnovers in the fourth quarter when they got a a little bit sloppy. So they just gained more possessions than their opponents. So as ugly as it was last night, that those two stats I just mentioned were really too much for Miami to overcome. The Hornets earned 11 more possessions throughout the game than Miami. Uh, and they win 91-82, even though the Hornets only shoot 38.7%. Right. They still get a nine-point win, So, and it was a big one. Yeah, I mean, it, this is this is your classic, typical Hornets game. I guess what I mean by that, like, you know, the opponent typically shoots better. We, you know, grind it out, play good defense. We don't beat ourselves. We don't turn the ball over. We out-rebound the other team. We get to the line and, and convert. Uh, better than the other team does, but this is just your typical classic Hornets game. Uh, it wasn't wasn't pretty, very sluggish, you know, out of sync at times. But the third quarter, once again, uh, like the Orlando game, was very big. We had an 11-0 run. A lot of highlights in that quarter between the uh, the back to back dunks with Zeller and uh, and Marvin, uh, and then also you know Kimba's threes as well. So very very sluggish game. Uh, but we we. This is a typical game for us, and, and, and these are the games that we win. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, this was Clifford Ball in his purest form when the offense struggles. Yeah, I mean, I thought Kimba really floated the offense uh, when they needed it, especially in the fourth quarter with that big three to extend the lead to seven. Um, but Miami recognized early on in this game that, well, I think that this was the game plan. You know, we get Charlotte on on the heels of a back-to-back. Um, we're going to pack it in and we're going to make these guys prove it from behind the arc. And Charlotte hasn't been an excellent outside shooting team this season. And that's what Miami did early as Charlotte comes out and misses, I think what said that they miss started two of 14, I think from behind the arc or something like that. So Miami had their game plan. They packed it in. There were very few driving lanes. Yeah. Especially Uh, early on. Like, I feel like we were just taking a lot of outside shots early on just because of, you know, the presence of white side in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, in the pick and roll, I, I thought Miami, they did a really good job on a, on a lethal Hornets pick and roll. I mean, they were tagging Zeller uh, on the weak side every single time. So there was really nothing at the rim out of that action. So the ball had to move from side to side. Um, so some, some driving lanes opened up. I think really that's what led to that monster dunk from Marvin. Uh, the ball just starting to pop side to side really without the, the pick and roll action. Uh, and then Zeller also gets that big dunk. I think those came in the th- those came in the third third quarter. quarter. Back, yeah, back to back possessions, I believe. Yeah. So the Hornets just did enough uh, in this game. Let's see. Looking at the box score here, anything else that really sticks out? It, Lamb was literally the only bright spot um, on the bench. Yeah, on the bench. The bench was awful. They actually started last night, o of twelve from the floor, and that's really when Miami started to. They got the lead at that point. I think extended the lead maybe all the way to six. So Lamb's the only bright spot off the bench. And I thought last night was really the uh, – that was the showcase game for how badly we need Bellinelli back. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I we definitely miss him, and I, I'm not sure when he's going to come back. I'm not sure about any updates, but if I had to bet, it'd probably be Monday of next week or, or Wednesday against Oklahoma City. I don't see him playing um, Saturday, which is tomorrow as we're recording this, against uh, Cleveland. Yeah, I would probably be surprised. There is no update, uh, official update from the team, but he did uh, tweet a picture um, last uh, – actually, it was after the Orlando game, I think. It was either after the Orlando game or last night. tweeted a picture of his sprained ankle in ice and said, great win tonight, back soon. So that's what we got. He's going to be soon. back. Straight, yeah, straight <laughs> from the horse's mouth. He's back soon. So, but his but his ankle still was on ice. So there's obviously some swelling that he's still dealing with there. Um, the only other thing that I thought was really interesting, not surprising, but interesting, was Hassan White. I knew you were going there. Yeah, he, he. I forgot he was on the floor. Right. <laughs> for a lot of that game, I, I wouldn't touch that guy at the ten foot pole in free agency. And. I, I agree to an extent, but I wonder how much of this, the situation plays into it, too. I mean, I, I mean, you shouldn't have to be on a winning team to have interest in, in what you're doing. Uh, but, you know, with the way the Heat are playing, you know, well below 500, I, it probably doesn't help that guy because that guy's personality. He just is a, you know, a powder. He doesn't have the best attitude, uh, you know, almost in a cousins in a way that he just, if things aren't going right, he's not going to be interested. And, and he has all the talent in the world. Uh, but I wonder if a change of role or situation, a team, could up his play and his interest level. But it shouldn't have to. It shouldn't have to. You know. No, it shouldn't. It, yeah, I, I mean, I get your cousins' comparison. I think he's he's not as emotionally driven as cousins. I never think that cousins is necessarily disinterested. I just think he he's That's too emo- he's too emotional. He can't get out of his own way. But um, yeah, I don't know. Whiteside just last night. It's like. He just didn't want to be there. He's like anywhere else in the world right now, just not on this basketball floor. Yeah, I was expecting maybe a little bit of a scuffle with Zeller, but he probably was uninterested in that too. Yeah, it was it was weird. So, and when he's not engaged, the Heat have very little chance to win any game against any team in this league. So, it was somewhat surprising on, on that note that they were even in this game. Gordon Dragic was awful last night too. He's two of eleven, only scores five points. Really, the guys that kept Miami in that game were Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, who I really, really like as a player. Uh, that he did a nice job of retaining him. And then Ellington uh, out of nowhere. And then Ellington hits four threes. Yep. So. So, you know, really behind the arc again, the, the Miami hits 10 threes. They actually hit seven, I think, in the first half. They only make eight a game. So that three-point shot, I thought, kept them in that game right. for the better part of three quarters. But in the end, uh, it just was not enough. The Hornets really struggled again last night from de- behind the arc, Richie. And, yeah, and last little bit about, um, you know, just, just players on the opposing team. Like Justice Winslow as well, he was a non-factor. Um, we've had this discussion before whether or not Frank was the right pick or or Justice Winslow would have been the pick, and I was all for Winslow. But after watching him play uh, over the over these past two years, I'm not sure he's not the better pick. I mean, not not he is awful yeah. offensively. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched uh, a game. God, I cannot remember who they were playing, but I remember it was on TNT, and it was his best game of the season. Like he was he was getting up and down the floor, floor uh, driving to the basket, you know, making tough transition. Uh, shots. Uh, and, and he's a rebounder, uh, but he he just keeps shooting and shooting and shooting, and he's he's got to improve that shot. So like no one respects him. It's it's almost like a, a Kaminsky situation in which yeah. okay you can take this shot, but it's probably not going in. Yeah, I was thinking about this last night watching the game. I mean, he literally this couldn't be a worse fit for him uh, in terms of a team that they're a half court offense. They don't have really any spacing. They can't shoot. I mean, everything's clogged 
for the Heat offensively, which is obviously not a good fit for a guy that can't shoot, um, which which Winslow is. He needs to be – see, I think you plug him in to maybe like a Hornets in this style that they play, which is – you know, motion offense, the ball moves a lot. There's more driving lanes. There's more freedom for certain guys to put the ball on the floor. Make he, he would be like an MKG in terms of like, you know, cutting yeah. to the basket. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how, he, you know, I don't know that he fits next, next to no, MKG. No, not at all. But, but I think he, I think this is the worst possible scenario for him in Miami as they're currently constructed. I hate it for him because I really liked Winslow in that draft and I still like him as a player. He just, to your point, he does. He needs to play up and down. He needs, freedom of space and freedom of motion and freedom to go make a play because he can't be a playmaker. But yeah, it's not happening in Miami uh, this season. All right, let, let's stay with Nick Batum for a second because I saw a few tweets last night and actually I'm not going to mention the guy, but somebody tweeted at me how bad Nick Batum is. and Oh, I hate watching this guy play. And he did struggle offensively last night. Just one of those games where it doesn't seem like he's engaged and not looking for a shot. But when you can have, have a bad game, which I think for the better part of this game, he wasn't good offensively, but finished with a line of 16 points, 13 rebounds, and eight assists, and that's a bad game. Do you know how many guys? I'll take that, league? yeah. Do you, I mean, there are literally less than five guys in the entire league that can put up statistical numbers from night to night like Nick Batum can. So let me let me just explain something to everyone. I'm tired. I'm done. I'm, I'm done listening to you complain about Nick Batum. And so don't please don't bring it my way because you just don't understand how to watch basketball if you're going to complain about what Nick Batum doesn't bring to the Hornets. If you're only hoping for him to score baskets and make threes and make highlight plays offensively shooting the basketball, then you're not watching the game the right way. He is a prototypical player, basketball player of how the game becomes easy. Er, for the other four guys on the court because Batum has the basketball and he's he's looking to distribute. He, he sees everything on the basketball floor, and he makes the game so much easier for the other guys playing with him. So we got to start watching the game through those lenses when we're watching Batum. Here, here's the reality, Richie. He's not a great offensive player. Okay, He's not a great three-point shooter, and really he's not a good finisher at the rim. His length bails him out a lot of times, right. and when he's active and pushing the ball – you know, and, and getting out in transition, make a play, he can be good. But he's not this super skilled offensive player. But what he is is a second uh, distributor next to Kimba uh, and a guy that, that can that can run the offense so you can get guys like Kimba off the ball coming off screens. And people have to start watching the game that way when watching Batum. He's never right. – probably never going to be a great offensive player. But there's very few guys in the league at with his physical tools – that see the floor like he does. And I think what gets these fans is that he signed this big contract and they're expecting his, his, uh, you know, production to increase. Like he, that's not him. I mean, he's, he's trying to get others involved. Like you said, he's a second ball handler. That's kind of why they are playing him in, in, in all the first quarter. Cause uh, when sessions comes in, he doesn't, he's not much of a distributor. Uh, that's kind of where Batum comes in. So yeah, just looking at him and, and how he plays the game, you got to look at it in a different way. I mean, he, he will stuff the stat sheet, uh, before you blink your eyes, he'll he'll be near a triple double by by halftime. So he's he just gets others involved. He makes the offense run a little bit better. And if you look at his stats uh, last year, points wise, is very similar to this year. And that's probably because he's kind of had a rise in in his production recently. In December, he's averaging sixteen points, nine rebounds, and seven assists. So 
yes, he's not going to be the player that you give the ball to at the end of the game. He's not going to be scoring 20 points a game like Kemba is, but he's still one of our best players. Absolutely. Um, and let me ask you a question. As a Hornets fan, if if I ask you, do you think that the Hornets, you watch them offensively, haven't been awesome this year, but are they one of the more creative offenses in the league just in terms of it doesn't even appear like there's a – like they're, you know, they're not running plays out there. They're not pounding the ball down the floor and running a set every time down. But considering that, would you say this is one of the more fun, creative offenses, pick and roll heavy, yes, that, that there is in the league? Would you, would you say the answer to that is yes? I mean, I, I can't say because I haven't really watched a lot of uh, other teams play basketball this year. I mean, I've watched on and off. But, I mean, I think, like you said, it's very pick and roll heavy. So if it's – when it when it gets going, I think it's very interesting to watch. Like the third quarter against the Magic. Uh, very unselfish. I think that's what I love to see about this team is is a lot of distributors on this team. They want to get others involved. And when Batum is on the court, you kind of see that in action. Just a lot of movement, off ball – uh, off of screens so I don't know if creative is the right word but it's definitely fun to watch fun to watch and, and and Batum is the reason for that you know Kimba is the offensive horse and he's the firepower Batum is that second guy that that really makes the wheel turn so let's try to consider that when watching him because he's he's not an all-star offensive player all right so let's let's kind of revisit the Jeremy Lamb conversation we were talking about it <clears throat> a little bit ago and kind of what he's brought to the table since uh, the Bellinelli injury. Have you seen an increase? Uh, obviously, an increase is in his numbers and in his uh, role since Bellinelli was out, Richie. But what what have you seen from Lamb recently? Positive, negative? Has he been pretty much the same guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's been pretty much the same guy, just getting a little bit more increased minutes since uh, Bellinelli went out uh, against Chicago, or in, in, including that game. Uh, Bellinelli has been averaging 22 minutes a game, which is up from 16 minutes a game. Uh, but we've kind of seen this, you know, up and down play for throughout Lamb's uh, career and through this year. But recently, he's been averaging these last four or five games with Bellinelli out 12 points a game, five rebounds a game, and 45% shooting. And he's never going to be a three-point shooter. Um, I think he excels uh, in transition. I think he tr- excels with the ball in his hands. I think sometimes he stops the movement of the ball at times. But he's getting better at that in terms of not letting the ball stick in his hands too much. But he's one of the few players on our team that can create off the dribble uh, and and kind of score off the dribble in mid range. He's very deceptively like lanky, like you know he's I don't know is he six six or something like that. But I think he has a wingspan of like seven feet. Um, so when he gets to the basket, he can he can score over people because of his length. Yeah. So I mean, I, recently it's just been more of a increased role, I think. But I think we've seen this throughout throughout the, the season. Um, but but I think he does need to see the court a little bit more than he actually does. And I think that's what Clifford is trying to do, tinker with his lineup and have him be the first one off the bench. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I um, you know, I agree with all those things you just said about him. His mid-range game, that's a great point. His mid-range game has been, I think, the biggest leap for him offensively this year because he really hasn't, hasn't been as good maybe offensively as I thought. Um, he's shooting right around 25% from behind the arc this year, um, which is really a lot lower than I realized it was. Um, but but being more decisive in the pick and roll, which which you can put him in that situation with that second, second unit, uh, being more decisive, coming off that, that screen harder, going towards the rim, and using that mid-range game when the defender sags down, 
uh, or sits below the pick, you know, has, has really been a, a, an encouraging aspect of his game. But you're right. I, I would still like to see him just be more decisive as a player. The ball gets to him, and he loves to stand there with two seconds uh, for two about two seconds and, and survey what his decision's going to be. It should be about a, a split second. You either shoot it, you pass it, or you put it on the floor and make right. a play. And that's just a part of uh, it's part of Lamb's game that it has always been a little bit of a struggle. But but he's done a nice job uh, floating this bench while Bellinelli has been out, um, and I think he's going to continue to improve. I mean, you you see a guy, you just watch his body language when he makes a good play. You know, he's going to let you know about it. You know, he's going to let the opposition know about it. So it seems like a player who's hungry uh, for success and hungry to get better, which was one of the knocks on him and, and why he was buried on Clifford's. Uh, in Clifford's doghouse last season, but I really think he's improved, and defensively is where I think he's gotten a lot better. I watch him on that end pretty intently, and he is not missing rotations very much anymore. Um, he's tagging Rollman. He's getting on the backside. Uh, he's getting on the backside for those rebounds, uh, boxing out. I mean, he's engaged on that end of the floor, and to me, it's pretty obvious that that was a that was a, a benchmark he was going to have to meet if he wanted consistent minutes under Steve Clifford. And although I think you see, you know, you see the offense suffer sometimes with Lamb because of the effort he has to give on the other end, that's just a part of his maturation as a player. Um, and so I know some of the numbers aren't aren't ecstatic and right where you'd like him offensively, but I, I think he's improving as an overall player. Um, and, and here's a guy I think that I really like his game. I hope he stays a Hornet for a long time, but, but I think he is – He's that sneaky trade chip maybe to watch too. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. on a, on a friendly deal for the Hornets, um, who's a, an improving player and still a young player at only uh, not even twenty five years old yet. So yeah, he's one so. of my favorite players on the team. But I I would not be uh, sad or, or or upset if we did trade him because he is probably one of the more enticing players that we can kind of get into trade uh, to kind of bring something back. Agreed. Agreed there. Um, all right, good. So we'll hope to have Marco back uh, as early as tomorrow night, um, but we'll just have to wait and see. Probably more likely like it'll be Monday night. So the Hornets now stand at 19 and 14. Uh, they are now tied after Boston's loss in Cleveland last night. They're tied uh, for third in the Eastern Conference and Toronto lost last night, too. So you gain a little bit of ground on them. Uh, Richie, what do you see right now? as the path I mean it's obviously still early but what is the path for the Hornets to ultimately catch Boston jump them for that three seed uh, in the east and is there a is there a chance that anyone can catch Toronto I think it's going to be difficult I mean we are what four four and a half three and a half games back or something from Toronto we're tied with Boston I know I know it's early, uh, but I, I just don't see us catching Toronto. Uh, I guess that's just more of a pessimistic side in me. But I do think that you know us and Boston will be battling it out to the end. And I think that Boston's a very good team. They have some firepower, a little bit more than we do. Um, they live and die by the three, and they do have a couple of players that I don't think get you know enough credit. Uh, two of my favorite players on their team are Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder. Avery, I'm sorry, Avery Bradley. You know, just a good shooter uh, from outside, from deep. He is the best per- perimeter defender on that team. And he is, I think he leads the team in rebounds as well. So he's got to be one of the best, you know, rebounding guards in the league. And then Jay Crowder as well. He just lights it up from, from downtown. And he's always finding open spots and spaces on the floor to get Celtics open three. So this team that we're going to be battling with down to the wire, I mean, they're they're 
they post similar numbers, but they go about it in a different way. Their their offense is a little bit better than ours. Um, they're unselfish and they can hit the three ball um, to a certain extent. They do like to shoot a lot of them, uh, unlike us. So it's going to be difficult. I think they have a little bit more firepower, but I think we play a little bit more sound uh, team basketball on both ends of the court. Uh, and we're going to have to win games like we did with Miami where we're you know, battling it out, grind it out, not a lot of turnovers, limiting second chance points uh, for us to be successful. Where Boston has players like Horford and Bradley and Isaiah Thomas that can go off at any nine. Yeah, I, I think we have a lot of similarities with Boston. I, I think the philosophies are very similar uh, with Steve Clifford and Brad Stevens. Um, I think Stevens is better in in, in the game uh, scenarios. I don't know if there's a guy really better in the league uh, than that guy drawing up a game-winning play or or, or a situational play. But I think the philosophies are are very similar defensively and offensively. Boston is – they're deeper offensively. Uh, They're they're tooled uh, a lot better, I would say, than the Hornets are. But, you know, right now it's kind of interesting when you look at where both of these teams stand uh, in in efficiency. Boston's a top-ten team – offensively eighth right now where would you guess without looking where would you guess they are defensively right now 17 they are yeah that's exactly right they're 17 so did you just guess that or did you know no that? i had looked it up prior i knew they <laughs> i knew they were kind of no I, I didn't know at the top of my head but i knew they're kind of like mid yeah. mid uh you know average defensively yeah so these teams kind of to be honest with you boston is exactly defensively where the Hornets are offensively, which is about 17, about where the Hornets stand right now. Uh, and then, you know, the, the flip side is true. You know, the Hornets are, let's see, defensively now. Fifth. Well, the Hornets are fifth now. They've climbed back to fifth. So um, they're actually a little, little better defensively than Boston is in the standings offensively. But I think the philosophies are similar. I, I would not want to see Boston uh, in the playoffs if I was any team, especially Charlotte. But you know, I think I think it's unlikely the Hornets will be able to be able to catch the Celtics in the standings when it's all said and done. I, I just think Boston, you know, Horford was out for a good chunk at the beginning of the season. Now he's in the lineup consistently. They're healthy. Um, they seem to be kind of gelling together now that Horford has right. kind of been in the lineup for an extended period of time. I, I think they're learning how to play together. Um, if if Boston avoids an injury, I mean, I, I think they're a serious. They're a serious team to, to challenge Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I don't know that Toronto's a – I don't know you just pencil them in to the Eastern Conference Final against a, a healthy Boston team. Uh, and, and then I, I think the Hornets, they just need another piece. They're, they're not – as they're currently constructed, there's just not enough there, I don't think, to get them uh, past a Boston or a Toronto to, to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I don't think so either. You know, but again, Richie, this all comes down to injuries in the end, and it's something we don't talk about enough every single year. But you know, here's we're we're kind of sneaking up on the All Star game. You know, you look at these top four teams in the East; they're all really healthy. I mean, J.R. Smith is out, you know, for what six to eight weeks uh, for, for Cleveland, but you know, Toronto, Boston, Charlotte, for the most part. Knock on wood here. Uh, of course, I've just jinxed it, but everybody's <laughs> everybody's been healthy, you know, and that's the way you want to see it. Now, if that continues, again, what we've said is I don't know if Charlotte's got enough, so the trade deadline becomes interesting. But uh, 
But yeah, I, I like Boston. The original question, I like them. I think they're a team that could challenge Cleveland as they did last night. They have a three late in that game, Richie, to take the lead with about right. eight seconds left. Crowder had a good look. He misses it. I think that got Cleveland's attention, uh, or at least it should have, because they were at full strength last night. Um, and I, yeah, so I don't know the Hornets have enough right now. Obviously, subject to change, though. Yeah, currently, I mean, I, I just think we just have less room for error than some of these teams, and I think currently constructed, we're probably at the best, probably a, a three or four seed. You know, at 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 the best, we just have less room for error with teams that have much more firepower than we do. But you know, we we play sound ball. We don't limit a lot of second chance points, and and we do the little things, and that's kind of what keeps us in this race. Exactly. Yep. And it, and it kind of goes down that conversation. Uh, that we had in the last episode, which is, you know, what do the Hornets need to, to take that step up uh, to to be in a situation where they can more realistically compete with Toronto or Boston in the playoffs? What are they willing to, to give up or what move are they willing to make? Um, so we won't have that conversation again. But, you know, as the Hornets continue to, you know, to churn out these wins and, and keep pace in the standings and then the closer we get to that trade deadline it's it's going to get interesting because that's a really really tough question to answer uh if you're rich cho i think he stays patient i think we both agree on that but you know at the same time if you're right there and you have a chance you don't know if that chance will be there again next year do you do you make the deal uh that they put you in better space or, or what you think a better spot to make a run and do you give up those pieces so uh, we will continue to monitor that. Uh, anything else uh, on kind of the standings combo right now, Richie? Well, let, let's do this because I think we had fun last week on this conversation. What has happened uh, in this back part of the Eastern Conference that we were discussing last week that maybe is interesting? Let's look at that real quick. Well, Pacers, Pacers have uh, fallen. Pacers have fallen. So they've lost four straight. Yeah, yeah, man. Ooh, they have fallen. So they're 15 and 18 now. and Washington's now in the eighth spot. So Washington is at, they're in the ninth. Oh, ninth spot. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah ninth spot. So the Pacers are a game and a half outside of the eighth spot, which is Milwaukee, uh, and then yeah, Washington's a, a half game back. Uh, Orlando, they're now two games out. Detroit's two games out. So this thing's starting to take shape. I just think there's a clear divide between the top four teams: yeah. Cleveland, Toronto, Boston, and Charlotte. Than the, than the teams below. Like there, it's it's yeah. such a such a you know up in the air with those teams. I would agree there. Uh, you know, I mean, now you've got a two-game difference between the fourth team in the East, which is Charlotte, and the fifth team, uh, which is New York. Did you see that New York-Boston game on Christmas Day? Uh, no, I did not. That was, an, that was an entertaining game. New York had a chance to win that game. I, I, they're a good team. I mean, I, I, I like them. When you, anytime you've got a Carmelo Anthony and a Porzingis on your team, you're going you're gonna to win games. Uh, that's the one team I could see keeping pace with, like, a Charlotte and, and a Boston. Yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see it. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to happen, though. I just do. I think that the divide might be a little bit bigger uh, come February and March. Yeah. So, all right. Here's what I want to do: I, Philadelphia cross off, Brooklyn cross off, Miami cross off, Orlando, Detroit, Indiana, Washington. Any cross offs? Are, are you saying right now? Cross off Orlando. Cross off Orlando. Okay, I like that. Anything else? Or uh, every other team in the East? Are we still saying hopes are still very much alive for the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say that Detroit, even though they're struggling, and like you mentioned last podcast, since since uh, Jackson's come back, they're like four and nine. Uh, they're kind of on the the downturn here. They're three and seven in the last ten games. They still have a chance, I think, to compete for the eighth spot. I mean, it's going to be difficult. It might be a little bit improbable, but I wouldn't rule them out. But I am ruling out Orlando. I would agree with you, and kind of staying on Orlando for a second. 
here's the interesting thing. I, I think Hennigan, the GM there, I, I I said it earlier in the show, I think he is fighting for his job. Now, I don't know if that's win now or you're gone or that's fix this mess that you've created with this roster now or you're gone. Does that make sense, the difference between the two? Say that again. So <clears throat> I don't know, like in Orlando, I think I think Hennigan, I think his job is on the line like yeah. as we talk. Now, I don't know if that means his job is on the line because the pressure is for him to win right now. Like he needs to make the playoffs this season. Or I don't know if his job is on the line because it's just fix this this mess that you've made on this roster. Get rid of some of these bigs and make us just make more sense from a roster standpoint. So the difference between those two. Yeah. I, so I, don't, so I think the it's the latter. Is, you think it's the latter. See, I think he might need to win now. I, I think all these moves were made because Orlando wants to win right now. Uh, and I think they made a lot of these moves, too. They wanted to put these defensively-minded guys around Frank Vogel, who was a great defensive coach uh, in Indiana. It just hasn't worked. I think he has to win now. So either one of these scenarios, right, either reason for him to keep his job here, what he's got to do, it demands what, Richie? I think it demands a big move at the trade right. deadline. So they're going to be a really interesting team to watch. And the other thing is there are some pieces on this team, a lot of them, that can help other teams. So watch Orlando at the trade deadline. You think he just needs to fix the mess he's created on well, the I roster. Mean, it is both. I think he probably needs to win. It is both. But I think they're – it is both. But I think the two are mutually exclusive. Well, to get better, they're, he's going to have to clean up the mess, right? Well, yes. But you, you get what I'm saying? Like to get – Yes, right, right, right. But what I'm saying is, like, do, do does the front office say, like, it, you have to make the playoffs this year regardless of anything else that you do, or you're gone. Gotcha. Or you can keep your job if you don't make the playoffs, but you gotta, you gotta make this roster okay. make more sense holistically. Do you understand I, what I'm I trying see to say? What you're saying. So one, one yeah. is for the future, one is for the now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So my roundabout way of explaining that, you just said it in about five words. <laughs> Makes a lot more sense, but uh, but yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So Orlando is a, uh, it's interesting to watch. They're going to make a trade at the deadline, and it's it's either going to mean Hennigan gets another shot at this thing and can run it back, or or he's out of there. All right. So we don't know a lot in the East. We know a little bit more, um, but uh, let's keep watching. But I, I agree with you. I'm crossing Orlando off now. So that let's see that takes our number down to 11 teams in the east that we are still considering alive for the playoffs crossing the magic off and we'll re- revisit that every show all right let's let's do a quick run through uh and all right go ahead and preview the play next week for the hornets uh on month well they'll host cleveland tomorrow night in what looks like a huge game for charlotte in a possible statement game they're at chicago monday uh, Wednesday, they host the Thunder. Thursday, they're at Detroit. Saturday, at San Antonio. So a tough stretch coming here. I think so. I think realistically, and I mean, I once again, I may be the pessimistic view. I, I think realistically, two and two would be good. I think that Chicago Monday uh, should be a win. And I think we should get a win either Wednesday versus OKC or Thursday at Detroit. I've uh, Once again, Saturday uh, against Spurs. I don't see that as being a win, or at least not favored win. Interesting thing about this week is is obviously three games away, but the Thursday game against Detroit is a back-to-back for us, but it's not a back-to-back for Detroit. They play Tuesday, have Wednesday off, 
and they'll be sitting at home waiting for us to come and arrive uh, on Thursday. So that's kind of why I'm tempering uh, my expectations for this week. Uh, if you look at it, you could maybe expect maybe three wins, uh, but I think two wins is probably where it's going to end up in uh, come Saturday after San Antonio. What is it about us getting Detroit on a back-to-back and them coming on the That's That just seems, yeah, that's weird. I mean, you, know, you, you would think that, like, if you're going to play a, a conference foe numerous times a year, that the schedule makers would try to find a way for, you know, one team, you know, one team not to have to play more back-to-backs against that same team. You know, right. you'd be at least split those, but that's not the case for Detroit. So we get them once again on a back-to-back. Uh, and right now, what it doesn't seem like a head-to-head that'll matter in the playoff standings, but you know, it is still early, so that seems a little unfair. All right, so would you say two and three, counting the Cleveland game tomorrow night? Uh, yeah, yeah, two and three, two and three. Okay, so you're saying the Hornets are not going to win tomorrow night? Basically. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, I, I have a little bit more hope. I, I think that I think that Charlotte finally gets up for one of these games against a, a superior uh, opponent. Um, they just haven't had a whole lot of staple wins uh, again this season. It's kind of been their thing over the, the Clifford era. They get enough wins against the teams they're supposed to, but they don't get enough of those big staple wins, especially at home. So here's another opportunity on New Year's Eve tomorrow night in what should be a really, really good atmosphere. I mean, I, I think this is one of those things where, you know, the, the hive is jumping tomorrow. This, tomorrow night the Spectrum, the Spectrum Center is packed. You know, it's a 7 o'clock tip. People go out right after the game. I think it's going to be a really cool atmosphere and, and a great opportunity for the Hornets. I'll say three and two over this stretch. Um, you know, I think just at Chicago, at Detroit, at San Antonio, I think the Hornets probably drop two of those three. Uh, and then I think they get the ones at home. And then one of those games on the road, gotcha. uh, most likely probably Detroit. Well, no, 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 that's a back-to-back. Probably at Chicago would be the most likely. So I'll say three and two. Um, so yeah, so look out for a tough stretch coming up for the Hornets next week. All right, Richie, New Year's, New Year's resolution for the Hornets. What's one or two things you hope for the Hornets to change in 2017? Okay. So when it comes to New Year's resolutions, I don't ever make any because I will never follow through with them, but you're smart. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) typically New Year's resolutions are something that might test your will a little bit. Uh, but they're still somewhat realistic. So when I thought about this, I kind of gave a lot of thought to this, and it, I was kind of struggling with an answer for this, a New Year's resolutions for the Hornets or a player uh, on this team. And the one person I'm going to focus on is Frank Kaminsky. Now, I don't necessarily think this will happen in 2017, but it's more of my hope, and, I'm, and I could see it happening. It's, it's more of a realistic option here. So my New Year's resolution for the Hornets slash Frank Kaminsky is for him to become a little bit more uh I wouldn't stronger, I guess, in in, in attacking, uh, finishing around the rim and on the defensive end. I think that he needs a little bit more Cody Zeller in him, get a little bit more physical, um, and it would help his game out a lot. I know that he's very good at driving to the rim, making a couple moves here and there, and getting to the basket. Uh, but I just remember a potential and one last night uh, against Miami. Uh, it was a great pass. I want to say it's from Batum, and it looked like he had a step on the guy. It looked like he had height on the guy. But he gets fouled in the process of a layup, and I I wish he would have gone up for it a little bit stronger and and dunk it. So I'm not going to call Frank Kaminsky soft by any means, but my resolution for him is just to become stronger in all aspects of his game. Yeah, that is one of mine as well, Richie. Um, You know, I'm 
to the point where I'm ready to punt on uh, on Kaminsky because he's so frustrating for me to watch. But uh, and I'm not the only one. But he's one of my New Year resolutions. I mean, I, I hope that he improves as a player on this team. Uh, physicality, you pointed out, it, it's the weakest part of his game. I mean, there are a lot of weak parts right now. But uh, I, I honestly can't believe he's get, still getting the minutes that he's getting. You know, playing the given the defensive effort or lack thereof that he's given right now uh, to this team. I mean, watching him guard an opposing player on the post is is really really tough. I mean, he <laughs> he just almost moves out of the way. Um, right. With, I, I, with, I, I don't even know what position he can defend better. Like, I, I just some days I'm like, okay, he can guard the center better. Some days he can guard the power four better. But I, I really don't think there's a clear cut answer there. Well, there's not, and that's the biggest problem with Kaminsky moving forward as a player in this league. I mean, I, I think we all see the offensive ability, you know, offensive uh, talent, which he hasn't exercised much this season, but it's there. We know it's there. We've seen it before, but defensively, I mean, I I don't know who he guards. He's, he's a seven footer. So I don't know how you hide him. Uh, You know, he's not some guard you can just put on the corner sniper. Um, he has to guard somebody, either the power forward or the center. And right now, to your point, he's proven that he can't guard either. So, you know, I, I think the Hornets continue to, to give him minutes um, because he is that guy you can go small with, play in center. Um, he is a lethal, you know, pick and pop guy, or at least a pick and pop guy that teams need to respect. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's getting ugly with Kaminsky. Last night, he goes one of 11. Uh, in Orlando the other night when everybody good, was good. He's 3 of 11. Uh, I mean, he's just really, really struggling. So, you know, I think his confidence is shot right now. And um, we actually got a good Twitter question that we'll cover here in a minute about him. So, I, yeah, I don't know what Clifford does. I mean, you need him on the floor because you're thin in the front court, you know, especially at the power forward position. But Kaminsky's struggling at uh, astronomical rates right now. Yeah, the only other New Year's resolution I would have is – Selfishly, I would like to see the Hornets do something to give themselves a better chance uh, come postseason uh, to make a serious run because, you know, I think that I think it's something that fans are hungry for. I think it's something that fans deserve. Um, You know, I think this has been a great rebuild for the Charlotte franchise, um, you know, from a roster standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, you know, going to the uh, change it back to the Hornets. Um, I think they've built up a really, really solid fan base there in Charlotte. Um, and then I think that those fans deserve, you know, a serious run, uh, and it, and it might not work obviously, but how can Rich Cho do that without mortgaging too much, um, is a very interesting question and and one that will continue a conversation that we'll continue to have. But, but that would be my selfish, uh, new year's resolution change. I'd like to, to see made is I'd like to see a roster move and I'd like to see uh, rich Cho give this team a chance to, uh, to make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's dive into some Twitter questions here. We All have right. a few. This one is from Marion at Radford333. I'm worried about Sessions. He looks a step slower, and he's not a good shooter, not a good combination. Um, so not really a question here, but a statement, and we'll talk about the statement. Uh, Richie, I'll let you kind of start with that one because Sessions has been better. Yeah, he has been better over uh... – we would say, you know, the month of December, he's getting better progressively. He started off real slow, 
Um, and I understand what this what this person is trying to say. If he's not a good shooter and he's losing his step on his driving ability, what does he actually offer to this team? And you know he's not gonna he's not a player that gets others involved. He only only averages three assists a game. So yes, there is there is something to be worried about with Sessions. But the good thing is he's improving. And Batum, a lot of time is in there with him, so he can take over the the ball handling duties, the uh, the initiator of the offense. We just want Sessions just to go out there and make as you know the least amount of mistakes mistakes as possible, give effort on defense, uh, and then drive with um, authority, but not get too out of control when he gets there. So, yes, I understand the concern, but uh, unless we make a trade, he's our he's our best option, I think, at, at backup point guard. Yeah, he's he's been a lot better here recently. I mean, in the month of December, he's he's shooting almost well. He's shooting thirty six and a half percent from behind the arc. Um, doesn't take a lot of them, about one and a half a game in about sixteen minutes. But that is a massive improvement to literally not being able to throw the ball in the ocean at the beginning of the season. So you know, he's shooting forty two percent from the floor in the, in the month of December. And and here's the thing that Sessions does that I think is a little underrated. People know about it. Uh, with his game, but they don't talk about it enough. You know, he gets to the foul line a ton. I mean, in 16 minutes, he gets there about two and a half times per game. Um, and, you know, the Hornets as a team get to the foul line a lot. So I think he kind of fits the the DNA of what they want to do offensively right. in, in that way. Um, and so if he can just be competent from an efficiency standpoint from shooting the ball from the field, you know, I think that getting to the free throw line and attacking the paint – is something that he really, really does well and fits the style of this Hornets offense. To your point, Richie, you wish he was a little bit more of a distributor and would look to share the ball a little bit more than he does. Uh, but his assist-to-turnover ratio is still, you know, somewhat respectable. I mean, for, for the season, it's about it's about three to one. So for a backup point guard, yeah. I mean, so maybe I don't give him enough credit for that. So I mean, he, he probably does do a little bit more in that area than I probably give him credit for. Yeah, but he's been better. I mean, I think that's kind of what we're talking about. He has been better, and <laughs> he makes that uh, that conversation that Rich Joe has to have about making a move at the deadline probably a little tougher. Um, and I even think, you know, these lineups where Kimba and Sessions have played together, yeah. and we've, we've seen them more in the past three games with that Bellinelli. They've showed some success. Right. Um, so, so he's been better. We'll, we'll keep the, we'll keep an eye on sessions and, and see if he continues to improve, if he levels off, if he digresses. But, but it's a positive sign right now. Okay, let's move on to the next question. This one is from our good friend uh, Mark, <laughs> uh, who write, yeah, who writes for the blog. Uh, he is at Hornet Sport Spot on Twitter. Is it time to minimize Frank's role for a bit before he loses all confidence? Take some pressure off. Uh, is the question. I think it's a good question, and I think we pretty much discussed it earlier. Uh, we probably should have waited knowing this question was coming, but I'll let you take that one, Richie. I know how he would answer this question. Yeah. <laughs> he would want uh, Spencer Hawes to get a little bit more play time. Now, I, mean, well, I, don't, I don't think – Homer, Homer. He, see, Mark, he lives out in Washington State, for those who don't right. know it. Uh, Spencer Hawes played at Washington, so – Come on, it makes sense why he You're likes just being a homer, right? We're messing with you, Mark. No, I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mind Hawes, but I just don't see it happening. I don't. I think Clifford's pretty set in his rotations. You see that Hawes doesn't really get in unless it's that blowout game like we had in Orlando. Uh, so, do I think that it needs to happen? I don't. I think he just needs to play through this. You know, my hopes before the season was for him to shoot better from the three point line, but now my hopes for this season is just to, for him to shoot the same clip that he did last year. So. 
he does offer some things out on the court. Um, he's not a great three-point shooter, but at least players close out on him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would be the case with Hawes. And Hawes, when he attacks that closeout, is sometimes indecisive. Kaminsky, to an extent, is as well. But he can get his way to the rim and, and score at the basket. And I think we also uh, distribute the ball a little bit better when Kaminsky's out there. So he just needs to work through it. I know that his confidence is probably a little bit shot. But you really wouldn't know that because he keeps he is shooting the ball uh, a good amount from three in terms yeah, of I mean, attempts. Yeah, I mean, I think he has to keep shooting. I mean, as a scorer, you just got to keep letting it go. Um, but, yeah, I don't know the answer to this, Mark. It's a good question. I think it's yeah. a conversation that, that the coaches are having. And, you know, here's what I'll say to this. I've, I've been tossing around an idea in my mind for a while, and I don't know if it's ever been mentioned out in the Twitter sphere or not, but I don't know if this is the worst idea I've ever had or the best, but I will, I will <laughs> I'll mention it. So how about Frank Kaminsky? for Willie Colleystein or something in you know there might be other parts coming and going but I think you know a situation like Sacramento where they would let and we, we'll wait to see what happens with Boogie but you know I, I just think Frank needs a situation offensive situation where he's more kind of the center point um, a, a younger team where he can have the ball in his hands more being more of a creator um, I just don't know. He, I don't. I'm not sure that he quite knows how to fit into the Hornets system. And with the second unit, they'll try to run plays for him uh, and get him the ball, you know, around on the right block. But yeah, I just don't know that he really knows what his identity is. And when he's not shooting the ball well in an offensive system like this, um, you know, his ISO heavy mentality it, it just it just doesn't fit here. And I think Willie Cauley-Stein has experienced a lot of the same problems in Sacramento just in terms of he's a rim runner. He's an energy guy. Um, you know, he's a rim protector. I mean, he does not fit. You know, he doesn't need the ball in his hands. No. But he's just standing around offensively in Sacramento and, and not setting ball screens because everything goes through boogie. So he's not a good fit out there. You know, I think that swap could maybe – I think it might be good for both but players. Where, where both would he fit in in our rotation? Because he's he's a center. Yeah. He doesn't create much space. Would he? Right. Would he replace Hibbert? Maybe, uh, maybe. You know, I, I, Richie. What I would say to that is, Collie Stein defensively can definitely guard fours. He can switch on the threes. He could, quite frankly, he could switch on the twos. So defensively, all of a sudden, you're a lot better with that second unit. Um, I think he can play for because he has those defensive tools. Um, you know, I know offensively he doesn't bring anything, and it's a, it's a big downgrade offensively. But when you look at what Frank is bringing to the table right now offensively, uh, which is basically zero, I think it just means a larger role offensively for some other players that maybe aren't getting that uh, that opportunity right now. And maybe Sacramento will send us another piece back, right? Uh, maybe if we send Frank – uh, and name your other pieces off of our roster. We can get maybe, Malachi maybe. back. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe, you know, who else they're looking to get rid of and, and not Rudy Gay. We're not going to go no. down that, that foxhole. But um, um, uh, Ben McLemore, I mean, they want him out of there. And does Ben McLemore, you know, provide an offensive punch enough off the bench? Uh, maybe in a Bellinelli, McLemore, Jeremy Lamb, um, you know, wing tandem with Collie Stein out there and, and name your point guard. I mean, I think those are things to ponder. I think Sacramento has pieces that that can help us, and I think you know, vice versa is true for us towards Sacramento. Um, but I think that swap just might make a little sense for both players. It, 
at the end of this idea that I have, here's what I'll tell you. I think that Rich Cho is calling around or at least trying to gather information throughout the league of who believes in Kaminsky's ability still. You know, everyone sees the struggles, but who thinks that their system fixes all the problems? Because he is a unicorn, and he's not a basketball unicorn in this league, but he is that versatile, you know, talent-wise unicorn in the fact that he's seven feet, he can dribble, he can shoot, he can pass. There's just not a lot of guys like that. So who out there believes they can fix the problems? Frank's a guy who could be moved, yeah. and I think Sacramento's makes some sense. So I didn't really answer the question, but it gave me an opportunity to tell you my idea. Well, I mean, I, I think we, we could all say we're probably not opposed to trading Frank, uh, but currently as it stands, I think, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to speak for you, but I think he just needs to play through this. Just play through it, uh, even though his confidence may be shot. So to answer the question, uh, don't give him less of a role, but we're not opposed to trading him whatsoever. Right, right. Okay. Is that? Oh, we have one more Twitter question. We'll try to do this one quick because we got to go. Okay. Um, I like this one a lot. This is a really good question. So, Kimball Walker is the unanimous, you know, all-star candidate for the Hornets. Is he the MVP of the team, Richie? And I think that there's the one other player who might be contend for the MVP of the team. But how would you answer that? I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's a difficult question. Uh, very interesting. I would still say that that Kemba is our MVP of the team. Uh, he's having a great year this year. Um, he's the one player that we can turn to late in games uh, and take the ball. And I understand where this where the question's coming from. Is it Batum? Batum is the one that gets others involved, makes it easier for other players. Uh, he's having you know great play as of late. Is he the MVP but Kemba is the all-star. I, I understand the question, but I, I still think that Kemba uh, is our MVP. Uh, he's having a great year shooting, um, and it's very difficult to defend him. And when we need a bucket, uh, that's who I want uh, with the ball in his hands. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's interesting to think about. I mean, Kemba is obviously he's he's the best player on this team. Uh, that doesn't always. A quick well, MVP, yeah. Right. It, I guess it just depends on how you define MVP. But I just think, yeah, Batum being that three-tool guy, uh, just all the things that he can do, all the things that he opens up, um, how much easier the game gets uh, for all the other players on the court when they play with him. You know, I think that's where the conversation gets interesting. I think it's still Kemba, uh, but it's really, really close, and it's it's something that we should talk about more just, in, just so we can focus on what Batum really – brings to the table which we also talked about earlier but uh but yeah that question was from my, my good buddy tom allison who i don't even know if he has twitter buddy but he texted me that question earlier this morning good question. Uh, and i thought it was a good one so all right richie um anything else we need to plug talk about anything like that before we wrap this thing up oh uh, no i think i think that we are good we've covered it all and as we're wrapping up this show i just want to give a couple shout outs um or i guess one shout out to the person that does our intro and outro, he has a uh, SoundCloud page. Uh, his name is DJ Quads. Uh, that's Q-U-A-D-S. So if you just search SoundCloud, uh, you can find all of his work. He does instrumental and, and beat work. And I kind of stumbled upon his SoundCloud and and thought it was is good, good stuff. So that's kind of why I chose him for our intro and outro. So once again, you guys can check us out on SoundCloud as well. Um, just search QCH Podcast and iTunes do the same. Okay, awesome. All right, so thanks again to all of our listeners. Please make sure that you let us know what you think about the show by hitting us up on Twitter. Speaking of, make sure you're following Queen City Hoops on Twitter at QCH Blog. Follow Richie at Richie Randall. And follow me, if you're not already, at QCH Spencer. 
Richie, I think that's a wrap. Okay, until next time, folks, which will be sometime after the new year, that will do it. And so on that note, everyone have a happy new year. Go Horns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.